If you would open with me to James chapter 5. In just a second, we are going to be looking at verses 7 and following. But as you're turning there, I thought I would ask you if you could complete this phrase. Patience is a blank. What is that? Virtue. Patience is a virtue. How many of you grew up hearing that from your parents, grandparents? I know I heard it probably more than I cared to hear when I was a young person. The phrase is actually uh, derived from one of the oldest poems in the English language. It goes all the way back to the 14th century, so 700 years ago. But here in the 21st century, 700 years later, I have to wonder if anyone still says that or still believes that, that patience is a virtue. I know in my own case, if I have to wait for something, I often look for, for other options, other, other things that are available to me more quickly. Right, we've been, been trained to, to know that if you want to order something online, you shouldn't have to wait more than two, maybe three days max for delivery. Been trained to know that if we want to eat something, it should be microwavable and ready in five minutes or less. If we want to watch something, we should be able to find a movie on demand, right, instantly. And if I want to communicate with a friend, that they should be responsive to me via instant messages or texts, you know, at a moment's notice. Right? There's, there's plenty to encourage us not to practice this virtue of patience. So it may actually take us a moment to think about where are we actually learning how to wait? Where are we being encouraged to develop patience? So I want to give you just a, a partner share question. And I'm not doing a very good job exercising patience. We only have about 30 seconds to do this, um, which is ironic. But turn to someone next to you, behind you, in front of you, and just share with them, is there something that you are currently waiting for, something you believe is worth waiting patiently for? 30 seconds. Think about it. And if you, if you have an idea, share that with someone next to you. All right, as, as promised, I was going to interrupt you rather quickly, but I'd love to hear some of those things you're, you're waiting patiently for or find worth waiting patiently for. Maybe they're items, maybe they're persons, maybe they're events. One thing that came to my mind in writing that question, uh, right now my family and I are, are waiting patiently for or beginning to prepare for and imagine a time of sabbatical uh, a year from now. So that's a year out every, every seven years, um, the church at least considers opening up that space to its pastors. So we're beginning to pray about and, and dream about and, and think about that idea. But it, it does feel like it, it requires patience to, to imagine something, uh, but also to, to wait and, and to let it develop over time. Last week, uh, Dominic Corvu was here sharing and preaching from the beginning of James chapter 5. And I just want to say to Dom, thanks for, thanks for doing that. And thanks for speaking from a challenging series of verses with, with clarity and conviction and, and honesty. But I think 
part of what, what James is speaking to in the verses Dom covered last week is our desire, our temptation to have things now. James names the desires to be rich or to be well-fed or to be comfortable in the present moment, to, to grasp those things, to lay hold of them. And in, in those first six verses of chapter 5, he warns us not to be lured into, quote, laying up treasure for ourselves. Treasure that he says is even now subject to decay. And the problem that, that James mentions at the start of chapter 5, the problem in pursuing sort of getting everything we want now in the present moment, it's sort of twofold. One, we're likely to do harm to others in order to get those things, right? To neglect others or to do unjustly by others in our greed. But secondly, James pointed out that once we grasp those things, even if we're able to acquire them, as soon as we begin to possess them, they lose their permanence. They're perishing. They're withering. They're rotting. So today, as we start into chapter 5, verse 7, James, I think, turns his attention to something that is worth waiting for. James wants to speak to us about a kingdom that's not on its way out, not something that's perishing, but rather something that is on its way in. James is speaking about the enduring kingdom of Jesus Christ. And he says that those who will be inheritors of that kingdom, those who will possess it when it comes, are not marked in this present moment by anxiety. They're not marked by indulgence. They're not marked by greed. He says what marks us as citizens of a kingdom that is coming, that is permanent, is the practice of patience. So let me pray for us as we look at that passage together. Lord, I pray that as we look into your word, we would recover, that you would recover in us an active sense of patience, a biblical vision of patience. Lord, that we would understand how to wait on you to act, but also to wait with you. And that in the, the waiting, in the practice of patience, our desire for the goodness of your kingdom and the justice of your kingdom and the truth and the goodness of what you desire to do would grow in us. Lord, may the words of my mouth as I preach, may the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you. In your name we pray. Amen. This is James we start with verses, uh, chapter 5, verses 7, 8, and 9. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient. And stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. 
the judge is standing at the door. James counsels us to be patient. Again, looking back to where we've just come from, the context we've just come out of, at the start of chapter 5, James names and identifies the very worst parts of our human condition. He notices the fallen nature of things like greed and lust, our propensity to practice favoritism and hoarding. He notices the suffering that that causes among those who are vulnerable or marginalized. And so here James is now going to give us his response. How, as followers of Jesus, do we respond to all of those broken and fallen realities? And the counsel he gives in verses 7, 8, and 9, three times, is to be patient. Be patient, therefore, brothers and sisters. Be patient. Be patient. And that can sound a lot like James is saying, do nothing. Right? It's, it's one thing for me to, to tell myself or to tell someone else to be patient when they're standing in line at Costco, <laughs> for example. Maybe then I, I just simply need to do nothing and wait. But, but that kind of counsel can seem glib in other circumstances, right? When we become injured or sick, is it enough to just be patient? When we lose somebody that we love, or if we feel alone, is it wise to counsel patience? What about when someone is mistreated or maligned? Is patience really the virtue we need most? And if we think back over where we've been in James these past many months, right? Isn't James always the apostle of action? Isn't he always the apostle who's telling us to do something? Put our faith to work. So why then at the end of his letter, we're almost to the last bit of this epistle, why is he suddenly counseling patience? I think we want to explore a little more carefully what James means by that term. And one of the pictures that James imagines patience looking like is described in verse 7. And it's the picture of a farmer. It says, a farmer must wait patiently for spring and autumn rains, particularly in that part of the world, in, in the Near East. They were dependent on the spring and autumn rains in order that the ground would produce what James calls precious fruit. James says, farmers are people who spend their whole lives cultivating patience. And yet, I think if you know any farmers, we have a few of them in this congregation, farmers are not people who sit around on their hands just waiting. Right? Farmers are among some of the hardest working people you'll ever meet. But farmers, I think, know an active kind of patience. 
right? They know that to, to have a harvest, to bring a crop to market, requires action and work like plowing and planting, fertilizing and weeding and fencing. But so too, that same work requires waiting for God to do the things that only God can do, like sending rain or bringing life or causing fruitfulness and growth. James says in verse 8, in the same way, you too be patient. Learn patience. Know when to work. Know when to wait. So sort of going back to that initial question I asked a few minutes ago, I want you to think about what matters most to you. What are the, the deepest needs or desires that you are currently experiencing? And are you grasping for those things? Or is there a dimension where the Lord is teaching you and counseling you to be patient in pursuing them? And what does that patience look like? How do you both work with God toward a desire he's given you? How do you also wait with God for the provision of those things? There's a, there's a tension there. There's a balance there in this image. So James counsels patience. But every time he counsels us to have patience or to be patient, it's followed by another idea, another word. And the, the word in Greek is the word parousia. Be patient because parousia. Parousia is a word that Jesus used. Later, almost all of the New Testament writers use. And it, it's a word that means coming or appearing. And very nearly always, it's tied to one particular person's coming or appearing. It's the promise that Jesus will one day appear. Jesus will one day come again. And when he comes, he is going to bring the fullness of a heavenly kingdom with him to the earth. So James counsels those who are suffering, those who are being mistreated, those who are poor, those who see the world grasping for all of these things and living in indulgence. He counsels them to be patient. But he does so because he believes that the coming of the Lord, the appearance of the Lord and his kingdom, is at hand. You can see those passages bolded here. Patience, as James defines it, is always fueled by a vision of what is coming, what is most real, what he says is everlasting. And I would go so far as to say patience is worthless if these things are not true. Right? Patience is only advisable if indeed these things are coming. Otherwise, right, Solomon's words, eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow we die. But if the promise of Jesus is real, 
if the coming of Jesus is near, then even now we are meant to be getting ready for that day when heaven will invade earth. And so patience, I think, is the practice of bringing that future good that Jesus has promised into our present action. Let me say that again. Patience is bringing the future good that Jesus has promised into our present action. Let me give you a simple picture of, of that. I read this week about a, a restaurant that's just outside New York City. It's in the Hudson Valley. And the chef at that restaurant is so highly sought after that it typically takes between six and 10 years to get a reservation, if you call today. <laughs> six to 10 years, right? The wait list. You know, you thought Applebee's on a Friday night was bad. This is, But that reality hasn't stopped people booking reservations, right? Every day, people call this restaurant. Even today, I'm sure people will go on their website, and they will put down a significant deposit of money on a table that will be available to them maybe in 2030, 2031, 2032. But they do that because even now they are anticipating that gastronomic splendor of dining at this place, right? They are practicing patience, right? They are connected to a future good, but it's driving them to take a present action. When was the last time you exercised that kind of imagination for the future, particularly as it pertains to the kingdom of Jesus? Now, I'm not, I'm not calling us to be escapist, but we do need to be a people who are rooted in the promise, in the truth, in the reality of what it will be like when Jesus reigns, when Jesus restores, when Jesus heals everything, right? That is the vision of the scriptures. The Bible describes the day of his coming will be like a great wedding feast. Have we made our reservations? Right? Are, are we anticipating the goodness of that day even now? And is it changing the way we live in the present moment? So in verse 8, James counsels us, establish your hearts, encourage your hearts with the coming of the Lord. Know that the majestic day of the Lord's coming is booked. The deposit has already been made. And so the degree of future good that is coming makes patience not only possible, it makes patience virtuous. Right? It allows our future good to change who we are in the present moment. Let me just give you a really brief practice you could try this week. If you have trouble thinking in light of that reality or steeping even just your, your present view of reality with that view of God's kingdom reign and rule. Think about picking up the, the Psalter this week and just read from Psalm 95 to 100. Those Psalms are, are enthronement Psalms that speak about the, the rule and reign of God over all creation. 
And I think they are helpful. They've been to me a helpful reminder that when I look around and I see brokenness or injustice or, or sickness or discouragement, that God still reigns, that this creation still belongs to him, that I belong to him. And I can, I can pray from that place. So if you want to practice parousia, practice anticipating that, that's a, that's a place to go this week. So James says patience is an active kind of waiting. There's that tension. James says patience is always connected to what is coming. It's always the future invading the present. And then in verses 10 and 11, which I want to close with this morning, James gives us a few role models that we could learn this virtue from. People who've practiced patience. Verses 10 and 11. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. James gives us examples of patience in action here. The first example he gives are the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Secondly, he lists the trials of Job. And and what James says these two examples have in common is how patience enabled them to persevere through suffering. Patience enabled them to persevere through suffering suffering. So I think James says these are credible examples. These are people who've gone through difficult things and maintained, grown in patience. Might be helpful for us to think about what uh, the word patience actually means in, in the Greek language that James is writing in. Patience is actually a, a kind of compound word in Greek that takes two ideas. It takes the word makros, which means length or duration. And it takes the word thumos, which means suffering or anger even. Right, a deep kind of pathos. So one who is patient is not someone who's passive or detached or unfeeling. Rather, patience is someone who exercises strength to withstand suffering, to negotiate legitimate, real anger over a prolonged period of time. Similar phrase in kind of the old English would be to be long-suffering. One commentator on this passage says, patience is faith stretched out. So James calls us to imitate the examples of, of Job, the prophets before, before us. And in particular, their steadfastness. Because he says it's, it's through the practice of patience that they stay connected to what the Lord has for them, the purposes God had for them. It connected them to those purposes through an extended season of hardship. And so I want us to think about that, that patience is not a placebo. 
Patience is not ignoring the difficult things in front of us. Patience is how God bolsters us and renews us and and grows our sense of courage to keep following him through difficult things. A, A picture of that in my mind was from a film I saw last month. Last month, around the the birthday of Martin Luther King, a few people had recommended the film Selma to me. Anybody seen Selma? And uh, it it depicts uh, Dr. King's story and kind of the civil rights movement that surrounded him, particularly uh, focused on the years of 1964 and 1965, when they went to Selma, Alabama, to work for voter registration and rights there. But one of the things that that was most evident to me and and portrayed in the film is how exhausted Dr. King was by this point. This point in his his struggle and the the work God had given him. And you can can just see in his demeanor, right, that, that being steadfastly committed to the work of justice was costly to him. It was costly not just in in terms of time or energy, it was costly to his family. It was costly for him even to maintain a sense of hope, right? Because there was persistent hatred, persistent violence, persistent adversity directed at him. And at, at one point early in the film, he's sitting in his living room late at night. He's been made aware of another death threat on he and his family. He's sitting in in the family home, and he's feeling, I think, that exhaustion and the heaviness of the work God has given him to do. And in the middle of night, he's sitting there pondering all this, and he walks over to the phone, and he dials what turns out to be his friend Mahalia Jackson, the great gospel voice of the civil rights movement. And she picks up, he he wakes her up, it's the, the middle of the night, And he says to her simply, I need to hear the voice of the Lord. And so she she sits up, she turns the light on in her room, and she begins to sing into the phone. And she sings this incredible gospel song. I want to play just the, the first minute of that for you. Gracious Lord, take my hand. Lead me on, let me stand, I am tired, I am weak, I am Light. 
The voice that the Dr. King needed to hear in that moment was the, the same voice that Job needed to hear in his trials. It's the same voice that spoke to Jeremiah. It's the same voice that spoke to Elijah. The same vo- voice that spoke to Moses before them. Right? It's the, the voice, James says, of the Lord, full of compassion and mercy. The Lord who stands near to his people so that they might persevere. The Lord who, James says, even now stands at the door waiting, not just for us, but with us. There's that that picture of his nearness being so close that it, it affects, it invades our present reality. Causing us to stand. And I think it, it turns out, James, I think, is, is actually at the end of verse 11 there saying, God himself is the exemplar of patience. God himself is ultimately the person who teaches us what it looks like, how to be long in suffering, how to stay steady in heart and steadfast in love fixed upon what is true and everlasting. We see that in God's character. We see that in God himself. And the scriptures tell us, they they rehearse that idea about this is who God is, right? The, The most frequent sort of refrain in the Old Testament is the Lord, the Lord who is slow to anger, long in suffering, full of love. I think there's this beautiful picture in Hebrews. I want to just close with this and pray. That Jesus, when he takes on flesh, when God embodies himself in human form, he is full of that patience and perseverance and endurance. So James says, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Faith stretched out. And so for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary or lose heart. Let us actively wait. Let us courageously wait. Let us invite the power of the kingdom that is to come to invade our present action and life together. We pray. Lord, I confess that in my desire to control, to feel safe, to be satisfied. I need your patience. I need to learn patience from you and with you and with my brothers and sisters. Lord, give me active patience today. 
patience I can practice and choose. It anchors and roots me deeper and deeper into the kingdom that is to come. The kingdom you offered yourself for and endured the shame of the cross so that I might participate in it. It's in your name we pray.